That's right. We are all in our crane position and ready to get into the best horror films of the year 2015. Welcome. This is the Fright Club Podcast. I'm Hope Madden. And I'm George Wolf, and we are from madwolf.com. And we're proud to have, proud and excited to have our senior filmmaker correspondent as our guest today. It's a filmmaker, Jason Tostevin. Welcome. Thanks a lot for having me, you guys. Well, this should be good because I already know that we have some different opinions. Uh, yes, and do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for she... the first time ever. <laughs> yes, we do with a little veiled contempt in your voice. I no. heard it. No. Uh, but they're good ones. They're good ones. And uh, right away, we want to thank Bridget Oliver from last week. That's uh, right. Our senior old Lady Bush correspondent. Note to self, no longer are we letting a correspondent choose their own labels. That's right. <laughs> Much to my disappointment, yeah. I would say. <laughs> but it was a good one. And um, we also got some, we got some feedback, a little bit of feedback on somebody that we missed. Yeah, Dario Argento. And I think it's because um, uh, I don't like him and you don't like him and everybody else does like him. So I think that was supposed to be a good conversation. But we'll have to do, at some point, we're going to have to do Best Italian Horror. So we'll talk about that. I mean, I like Suspiria. Just like everybody else, except you. But you yeah, don't even I, I like really that. Don't you don't even that. like that. No, no, not really. But uh, thank you for the feedback. As always, uh, Twitter is great for that. Uh, we're at Mad Wolf, M A D D W O L F. So we got a couple of votes for um, female vampire. Uh, that podcast is coming up in two weeks to correspond with NRX Live event. Yeah, which is January 13th at the Gateway. At the Gateway Film Center. We're going to watch uh, Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, and we're going to count down the best female vampire movies. So the couple that we've gotten so far, Tom Howard, Dracula's daughter. Nice. And he actually, he mentioned it because he said it's the, it's the best, longest kiss never filmed. I'm going to have to figure out what that means because I thought in my head I don't know what he's talking about. Okay. But it's a theme that I'm going to because Brandon Thomas recommended From Dusk Till Dawn for a specific dance. I want to lower expectations. This is not going to be a strictly girl-on-girl podcast. <laughs> there are some vampire movies with female leads where it's not just about, like, hot sex action. So and that topic took about two minutes to go in a direction <laughs> that Hope didn't like it to go. So uh, keep those comments coming is what we're saying. Not hot lesbian sex. Well, I'm not saying zero. I'm just saying maybe, <laughs> right, right. Maybe, maybe one suggestion that is not <laughs> strictly that. Okay. This is America, I thought. <laughs> uh, all right, so we'll get into the uh, top. We got five. We got five. Do we narrow it to five? No, we have uh, we fuzzy math six. Fuzzy we math six. We have a kiwi tie. All right, at number five, from New Zealand, it is a kiwi tie. It's Deathgasm. You know that evil heavy metal that your parents hate you listening to? <laughs> you know those lyrics about hell, demons, and doom? What if I told you it's all real? I know. I was there. My friends are losers. So we started a band. I translated those pages. Now people are turning crazy. Like possessed. Crazy. You know, I'm not even sure I'm in the right tuning. Brother still. Yes, turn it up to 11. It is a rock and roll mixed with slasher horror. And a lot of fun as these guys find a, a killer chord, a killer piece of music that just wreaks havoc on the town. New Zealand horror tends to be very funny. They're very good, droll, goofy, funny humor, and they're very good at it. And, I, you know, it comes from a history with uh, Peter Jackson really was the first Kiwi filmmaker to make horror movies, and they were all very funny. And Deathgasm is really following in that, I think. I mean, the, the, the humor is the driving point, and it's a bunch of just unlikable, unliked high school boys who decide to be in a metal band because that's that's what you do. And it works out pretty well for them um, once they discover the uh, the uh, black hymn. You know, it mocks all of the sort of 
paranoia about like you know Ozzy Osbourne music from yeah, back in the eighties, and I it thought. does a great job with that. It was one of those that I thought when I saw it was yes, what well, this is so obvious because of those paranoia fears about devil music and devil worshiping, uh, and and then to uh, take that and build a, a film around it, which is which reminded me it wasn't as good as um, Shaun of the Dead. But the, its pacing and the way they did a lot of their shots reminded me of Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, I think it obviously enjoyed that movie, as everybody does. And But one of the things I liked about it, unlike Shaun of the Dead, it gets mean. You know, I mean, it, it gets mean. It does. It takes a turn. There are some people who maybe aren't affected and they, they get killed anyway, which I thought was <laughs> one of the funniest bits in the movie. You know, let me tell you what I liked about Deathgasm. What I liked is it was really gory. And it's been too long since we've had a proper what-if um, Metal was really about summoning Satan. It's been too long. It's been probably two decades, three decades since we had that. And frankly, I think we should have that every decade. I don't, <laughs> at we least. Have, we have to have that reminder at least once every 10 years to be careful about the music you listen to. Um, it didn't shy away from the gore, which I loved. And I think um, as a filmmaker myself in my spare time, one of the things I really like about this movie and some of the other ones on your list is that um, – it really built a following on the festival circuit first. Really where it built its market was um, with people who love genre movies and horror movies and indie horror movies. And then that word of mouth kind of took it forward into the more mainstream. I mean, there are lots and lots of people who never heard of Deathgasm. Um, but those who did, men, most of them, I think, probably heard it word of mouth, which was really exciting for me. I love that. Okay, so we do have the fuzzy math, the second half of the Kiwi tie at number five, uh, what we do in the shadows. When you get three vampires in a flat, obviously there's going to be a lot of tension. The trouble with being a vampire is you have to be invited in. Come in to the bar, please. Will you invite us in? We need some fresh blood. Hi, my name is Nick. I've been a vampire for two months. Nick. Why don't you use the front door? Do you want to draw attention to this house, hmm? You've got a whole documentary crew following you around. You will not eat the camera guy, maybe one camera guy. When you're a vampire, you become very sexy. Jermaine Clement. You know, I don't think that there's anything he does that I'm not willing to sit through and be happy about. And, uh, and I was uh, a little concerned about this because it's a uh, mockumentary, which is uh, pretty, pretty played out at this point i think and it's a vampire movie which is also pretty played out at this point so i was a little concerned by it and then just fell immediately in love it is adorable and funny and jermaine is really great and uh, the werewolves are the best thing about it. it's like every time i thought to myself oh, okay this has gotten a little cute and safe for me then they would introduce something else that was hilarious and kept my attention and uh, i loved the werewolves so much and i loved that peter the oldest of the vampires was patterned on my beloved Count Orlock. Uh, that was the best. But uh, more than anything, it was uh, it was just a clever, funny, sweet, fun movie. It's barely a horror film. It's only a horror film. There is a bit of a bloodletting, not a lot, but it's um, clever and fun. I actually heard that there was some talk of a werewolf spinoff that was going to be called What We Do in the Moonlight. Well, let me say, I um, wanted to love it, and I... <laughs> <laughs> and I, I want to be happy with it, and I wanted to sit through it, and I, w- I did neither. I accomplished, ah. I accomplished neither. Uh, I am, um, well, it's good to have goals. Right, yeah, I, look, I set the bar high, George. Um, I love Jermaine. I love the team behind Flight. I loved Flight. I did not like this movie. And I went in, possibly this was the failing, and we all know this is what happens, right? You go in with high expectations, and sometimes that's, that's what hurts you. I went in thinking, I'm just going to 
laugh my ass off and I'm not going to be able to control myself and I'm going to be so in love. I'm going to just watch it again. I was bored. I was bored the whole time. I laughed a couple times. I thought it was cute. I thought it was um, an extended episode of a show I wasn't that interested in. And it, it pains me. I'm feeling pain <laughs> right now saying that to you, disclosing to that. I feel like this is a confessional, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I didn't like it. I didn't care for it. Um, and it's not really a horror movie, right? To, to, to acknowledge. Yeah. It, it certainly brings in all those horror tropes and has really smart fun. It's referential to the, to the genre, but um, I didn't care for it. It's one of those things that people tend, people can get so argumentative about, well, that's funny. No, it's not. If you don't find it funny, you right. just don't find it funny. And we did, but if you don't find it funny, I can see where you'd be bored. No, I think it's true. I think um, what you find funny might be even more personal and idiosyncratic than what you find scary. Yeah. You know, I think um, comedies Sorry. can be more polarizing than, than almost any other kind of movie. Yeah, they really can. And, it, and if you aren't tuned into that channel at that moment and the movie's two hours, right, it's, it is compounding on itself. <laughs> it's yeah. stuff that's not working. Yeah. Now, here's my commitment to you guys and to myself. I am going to watch it again. I, I watched it that once. I love Jermaine so much. I'll watch it again, but it didn't work for me the first time. Before we hit number four, though, uh, Jason sent us his list, his top five list, and there were a couple on there that, that didn't make the final cut, and I figured we could just pause and talk about those for a yeah, second. Yeah, and, and very quickly, just to, your background, I know you are a filmmaker, and the ones I've seen, the last one I saw that you did, which I enjoyed very much, A Way Out, was not, so you don't deal strictly in horror, because that one I'd call a thriller. Yeah, you're right. I, I'm really a, a genre guy, and um, you know my, my training in watching is horror. I grew up in watching horror and, you know, pulling the VHS cassettes out of the rental place by their cover art. And um, but the movies that I've made so far, really, I haven't made a straight horror movie. They really are sort of horror tinged thrillers and dark dramas. And, and the other thing I'll tell you is um, I'm leading marketing and communications at Gateway Film Center, which I'm very excited by. However, since taking over that responsibility, I see far fewer movies. Then I saw before Isn't that weird? I worked yeah, you with a think, movie theater. Well, you work at the theater. You're going to see all the movies. Yeah, but. no, it, it, as it turns out, it doesn't work that way. But I do have to thank both of you for what you're doing. George, you have to use this or I'm going to be upset. Okay. <laughs> um, but what you guys are doing for horror and for the horror community can't be, un, can't be overstated. Well, so but between this podcast, the live production, and then generally the uh, film critic community with your um, – with your reviews, it's really important. So thank you for doing all well, this Well, we really appreciate that. And I have to throw, most of that goes on Hope because she is the, she's the mastermind. Well, she's the brain. I was trying to be polite, but I, I agree with you. <laughs> I just put together, I edit. I'm the sound guy. Yeah, uh, but awesome. she's, she's the brains behind this. I mean, I don't know, though, if people are going to realize, you've won a ton of awards. Yeah. For, I mean, a ton of awards. I remember actually the first, I, I, you, he won, was a 48-hour film fest back in the day, a thousand years ago. It was the first time that I... Uh, met you because I covered it for the other paper where we both worked. I, uh, and, uh, but since then, you've taken your films on the, the festival circuit and won more awards than any other Central Ohio filmmaker. Is that right? Yeah, as far as we can tell, it's real, you know how it is. It's like a, it's the Wild West out there sometimes. <laughs> but no, we've been super lucky. It's uh, really, people say this, but I mean it. It's an, we have an awesome team working together. But yeah, well, we've had a lot of success and we're looking forward. We're going to make our next feature here soon. Nice. Well, you're a, you're a perfect person to have talk about these these films, and especially getting to your your list that didn't crack our list, Hope's list, 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> Look at him back away. If, no, right? yeah. <laughs> if you didn't like it, neither did I. But there were some good. No, there were some good. Uh, the good titles on the ones that you had uh, wanted to talk about. Thank you. I love that. Let's talk about a couple that I had on my list that didn't make your final list. You want to start with uh, Cub? Maybe we can start with Cub. Yeah, Cub. We we did like. In fact, I think it was the the setup was great. The lengths it went to were great, and then it kind of lost us at the end. You know, just with you, like uh, what we do in the shadows, it may have just been anticipation. I saw this trailer like probably eight months before I saw the movie and thought, oh, my God, I cannot wait to see that. Because it's uh, like your campside slasher, except that everybody that's going to get picked off as a child, uh, that's what it looks like in the trailer. And I'm like, oh, my, buy another child. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so in. And they they delivered in a lot of respects really well. The lead, the little boy, was wonderful. Uh, you just loved him. Um, but then, you know, once things got rolling, there's a, a third act twist that really disappointed me. Although they do make a lot of, of excellent choices, like really you didn't expect them to go there kind of choices that I appreciated. And I thought the performances were great. But I don't know. There was a whole part of it that I really didn't care for. Uh, another one on your list that I actually did enjoy uh, was The Visit. Yeah. So I come from a, maybe a different angle than you guys do, which is I'm also very deeply interested in the production of the movies. The Visit was really interesting. Of course, Shyamalan Returns. Further interesting for me because he went the Bloomhouse route. So Jason Bloom is a uh, producer who's making a lot of money, making very inexpensive movies, w- working directly with directors and giving them a lot of creative freedom. Uh, Shyamalan initially declined to go that route, thought more about it, went away, self-funded the visit. So he spent his own $5 million to make this movie, uh-huh. then took it to Jason Bloom. They edited it together and it was released. And I thought uh, Shyamalan uh, proved again that he can really edit a sequence. There are a couple sequences in that movie that were as scary as anything I have seen this year. Now, he couldn't get out of his own way in the third act. I think we can all agree on that. But um, there were some parts. The the bit under the porch will stick with me forever. Yeah, it was very well done. And it was, I guess, low expectations because of the movies he's made over the last few years. It seemed to me he kind of dialed it down a little bit. Not so pretentious, not go back to what really made his name. And uh, yeah, a lot of it was effective. Yeah, I think a modest effort, but a really uh, a very fun step in the right direction. Yeah. Another one you had in your list that I actually did really like a lot was Spring. Yeah, so these are two of my favorite directors working today, uh, Benson and Moorhead. Um, they made, I like to say, the meta movie everybody wanted to watch when they watched Cabin in the Woods. They made a movie called Resolution which I thought was brilliant. I thought it was all the things everybody thought Cabin in the Woods was. They made this movie called Spring this year, which is like a romantic horror I, I, it, <laughs> But it is so beautiful and so tense and so touching and also kind of epic in scale. I mean, there's this ending that you can't believe is the ending to this movie. But it was really um, wonderful, and it's great to see what people can do when they're given the freedom to make the kind of movies they want. I really enjoyed it. I think they mix genres better than maybe anybody else out there. I mean, because they don't stay completely true to any individual genre, but but they um they bring in two to three in everything that they make, and it's just fascinating to watch. And it is Spring is a gorgeous movie. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Resolution because I really like that one. Yeah. I like that one a lot. But uh, one that boy we, we didn't like uh, <laughs> at all that a lot of people did was on your list was Headless. So um, when I make up my list at the end of the year, I make up theatrically distributed. Um, a, a list of theatrically distributed horror features. Uh, of course, Headless will, will did not and will never get theatrical distribution. It is a gruesome, dark, gross, morbid, horrifying movie. 
um, <laughs> made by some uh, folks in Indiana who are turning out really interesting, super independent horror right now called Forbidden Films. They made a movie called Found, mm-hmm. uh, I think four or five years ago, that uh, took the festival circuit by storm. Headless did the same thing this year. It's on a lot of, it has made a lot of lists, top lists. Um, I think that it is misunderstood. I think that people see it for the gore and don't appreciate um, really what they did for the slasher character. We have never seen a slasher character explored this way before where we see alter egos on screen. And um, I found it incredibly compelling. And I, I, I actually continue to tell people, I think people will look back on this movie as a really important milestone. I appreciate those thoughts. It just didn't, when we watched it, it did not work for us at all. Now, I, I read Found, and so Headless is, uh, Found is a novel uh, about a boy whose older brother is corrupted by having watched this particular movie called Headless. So so long after the novel came out, the filmmakers made a movie, Headless, based on the idea of this corrupting film. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to say I had high expectations. I thought that the degree to which they explored gore, graphic gore, was interesting for about 15 minutes. And I'm like, if I need to see him <laughs> that one more time, I'm like, how many more times? But honestly, it wasn't so much skull that. Relations. Skull relations. Yeah. Can we say it that way? Yeah, skull it, relations. Skull it wasn't so much that. It was just like, how many brawless women are willing to take rides from creepy guys in one town? Seriously? Um, yeah, you lost me at about the fourth. I'm like, oh, I can't. Come on, please. Someone just someone not chase that cat down that alley, please. <laughs> um, and and uh, I, the, there were things I liked about it. I liked the uh, the the little boy character. I thought was fascinating and creepy. But um, and it just wasn't particularly well written. Although movies of this um, budget generally are not. Um, you know, I tried to give it the benefit of the doubt, but it, eventually I just couldn't make myself enjoy. It. I mean, I just I was just I realized I'm just forcing myself to finish this movie. Okay. So those, uh, those were a few that were in the conversation, but not quite in the top. Now we're in the top four in our list, the best horror of 2015. And number four, kind of a surprise uh, horror film, and that is Bone Tomahawk. Here's a uh, situation. Serious. Mrs. O'Dwyer was abducted. How many of them do you think there are? It won't matter. You have no chance against any number of them. We're making a five-day journey in three days, riding along and sleeping the bare minimum. Okay, so Bone Tomahawk, what a surprise it was, first of all, right? So it is uh, a Western, but it is a horror cannibal Western. And it has one of the most intense, gruesome scenes yes. maybe ever committed yeah. uh, to film, or in this case, to a digital card. And uh, and um, I, I, I got a couple quick stories I want to share with you to make you further appreciate this movie. Of course, Kurt Russell is in it. And Kurt Russell is also in a Western for some reason that's getting a lot of uh, <laughs> getting a lot of attention right now. I can't. The name escapes me. Hopefully. <laughs> um, two quick stories. One is the people who did the Foley. And I assume everybody knows Foley is when you do the uh, after recording sound. So you go in a studio somewhere and you break carrots and you smash melons to make things sound mm-hmm. like body parts. Um, those people made themselves sick. Making this movie, making the foley for this movie, actually nice. made themselves well, nauseated. That's a thumbs up right there. <laughs> the other one I want to tell you is: so you look at this; it's a western. All the um, traditional wisdom about filmmaking is you don't make westerns; they don't sell and they're too expensive. 
somehow we've got a mini renaissance of yes, westerns right now. Yes, this year was great. But the way this one got made is pretty amazing. Uh, Kurt Russell really loved the script. The guy who wrote it uh, has only one other credit, which is A Silent Blackout, which at some point we should all talk about anyway, because that's a popular uh, topic for horror folks. One of the producers that were, that was stewarding this movie had his parents murdered the same month that his wife gave birth to their twin daughters was stewarding this movie and was so like needed this movie to get made so bad that they got a hundred no's. He finally wrote the check himself to pay for production. Wow. Now the good news is it has made money. And so he got his investment back plus some, but that is what it took to get this horror Western by a virtual unknown made. Wow. And all the time, I just thought Kurt Russell is going, you know, I got this beard left over from <laughs> Hateful Eight. What can else can we it? do? Yeah. In a nutshell, a woman gets kidnapped by some quote unquote savages. Kurt Russell is the town sheriff. He leads a posse, in, which includes the, um, the woman's husband, who is injured, uh, off to confront these savages, try to get her back. And uh, they do find the savages and they are they are fearsome. And um, what transpires after that takes it into the horror genre. Yeah, I, I love uh, that they, they call them troglodytes, which is, I think it was a, a politically correct attempt to not make it your regular Western villain, um, which uh, kind of struck me as a little bit lame. Um, but the the way they create the villains is really awesome. They yeah. are super weird. They've yeah. got this the sort noises, of predator thing going the on with they them. Make, yeah, they're awesome, and uh, they they just glimpse what they do with their women as they're. Uh, yeah, like, and that's oh. a whole nother. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. but I talk. love that in a horror movie where they don't really explore. You just get to see something out of the side of your eye. You know, like. But what you also see is when the men walk by, their reaction to that, and then when the wife, when she, the yeah, different quick reactions to seeing those. What do you call birthing women or whatever? Yeah. uh, Is very interesting. But Richard Jenkins, as always, is so great in this movie. And they really do. They conjure honest to God, Westerns, you know, archetypes that you're familiar with. But because they're very talented actors, they invest them in real character. I mean, two things. And Patrick Wilson is great once again. Well, Matthew Fox, who I have never liked in anything. Because he sucks. Is good. I, I was really impressed by him, and I loved, loved, loved the dialogue. Yeah, it was it was true. I think to the to the time period of the film, and it makes it seem stilted at this point. But I think that it is supposed to be like when you listen to Shakespeare, it doesn't sound like regular dialogue. So, yeah, I think one of the things I like the most about it, it was the dialogue because it is sort of stylized, and um, and it's meant to sound that way. I think he really uh, struck a tone and kept it for just about ninety percent of the movie. The writer director and that that for me is the gets you an a every time one thing about the villains they are so savage and so terrifying and so horrible that they really needed to get their just desserts and they didn't quite that was the only thing for me that i went i watched that third act and thought man okay. i needed a nuclear bomb to go off <laughs> in that valley and know that they were wiped out in an excruciating fashion <laughs> Well, you can probably, if you haven't seen the movie, you can probably guess the, what bone tomahawk. It's a bone tomahawk and go from there. So it's really good and it was a great surprise. That's always adds a little bit extra when you're yeah. just totally taken out of the blue by a movie like that. And then you come out, wow. And that's sort of what this was, at least for us. Yeah, I think so. And that is number four on the uh, best of 2015. Moving up to number three. We've talked about this a lot. It's Good Night, Mommy. Mama.
I love a good creepy twin movie. <laughs> it's uh, and this one is so much fun, and um, it's so just beautiful and hypnotic to watch, and and uh, it just strikes this sort of dreamy atmosphere right off the bat, which is necessary for the film to to I think sustain itself throughout. Um, and but then there are just these little weird asides that nobody even begins to explain, like they're they're cavorting in caves just full of skulls. I'm sorry, wait. Is that just commonplace in Austria? You just have skull caves? Um, and they don't because it's mostly from the point of view of these two little boys. And so they don't explain things that the boys just sort of accept as they move on. Yeah, and a quick synopsis for those who are not aware. Two little boys, twin boys, are waiting for their mom to come home from having had surgery. And it's cosmetic surgery on her face. And when she comes home, they are convinced that it's not really her. And the thing that I think makes the film work as well as it does is that you... All of the characters, the mother and the boys, there's something wrong with everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, you think to yourself, she's actually not a very nice mom. Like, I wonder if she's not their mom. And were they alone the whole time waiting for her to come home? Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> and then the little boys, just their movement, they're very cat-like. They seem, you know, it, it's yes. so that it works for me because as the movie takes turns that are unexpected, at the same time, you accept them because there is just something wrong with these characters to begin with. Well, and, and here's the thing, without giving away anything a lot of conversation about this movie it the, the plot does take a turn a very big turn i'm gonna let jason pick it up because you brought up a good point we got into a discussion about this on uh, facebook on the columbus facebook page the other day and people have a problem with this with this turn thinking that oh are they trying to shock you? and you and you brought up a good point yeah so first i want to say i think that skull cave is a leftover location from headless i think <laughs> they just i think they just shared it which is good, efficient filmmaking, Hope. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so th- to, to this idea that there's this turn in the movie and that um, it certainly was um, divi- a dividing line for people. My, how I, here's how I interpreted it. I did not think that it was meant to be a twist. I thought that it was obvious and, and the director told us it was obvious from the very beginning of the movie. I think there's a lot of, lot of credence in that. Yes. Okay, that's interesting. Now, I've had people really uh, argue vociferously against that idea and they think it's supposed to be a twist and it's supposed to shock you i don't think it is at all i think it's obvious from the very beginning and i thought that really lent the first half of the movie it's really profound creep factor that and the stuff you talked about which is their uh, uh body movement they're so feline and predatory yes. and sneaky yes and then how isolated they are those wide shots of that sweeping meadow and the pond and where, it, to your point, where is everybody? Where was mom? Where, was anybody there before yeah. mom got back? Yeah. And where is everybody now? So, um, and then when the Red Cross workers show up at the end, you know, and they just, they're just walking in to the house. Yeah. And is that how we do things here? And yeah. And where, where is everybody? But it's beautifully shot. Yeah. 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 I loved how it played with identity. That's really always very scary. Uh, I wish it had kept the tone it had in the first half. For the first half of the movie, it was my favorite movie of 2015. Wow. Yeah. And then then after that, not so much. Okay. So that's uh, that's number three. And number two is uh, one, again, well, of course, we've we've talked about these movies a lot because that's what we do. We talk about the horror movies. But one that is especially a favorite of Hope's, I know, and she even got to talk to the director. Uh, It's The Nightmare. Okay. So The Nightmare is a documentary horror movie, which I don't know has ever been done before. So let's just start with that. It is a horror movie that is a documentary. <laughs> it is shot in a narrative style, which is really exciting. And this guy, Rodney Asher, is one of my two or three favorite working directors right now. He's a documentary filmmaker so far. He hasn't made a, a narrative. But um, this movie is about uh, sleep paralysis. And um, 
this was number one on my list. So we don't disagree that much. No, no, no. We uh, loved it. it. It was number one on my list. Here's why. As a horror fan, if you have a horror movie that can infect you with a real life boogeyman, you win for that year. Yeah. And the science says if you watch a movie or learn about sleep paralysis, you are measurably more likely to get sleep paralysis. Right. It literally infects you. And there's a point in the movie where it pretty much tells you that. And when we were watching it, you talk about a movie, the old cliche is, oh, I was afraid to go to sleep. No, no. We were afraid to go to sleep <laughs> because you, you, just like you said, when you're watching it and you think, oh, my God, does watching this movie mean that now I'm going to get this or I have the possibility to get this? It's terrifying. It is. Uh, absolutely. And and it was a very close call for us between one and two. It really was because this movie is is fascinating. It's fascinating. And the way he builds it and the way he participates in the conversations. I mean, you know, it would be very easy to make this film very much like his Shining documentary where you're just sort of mocking the subjects, but he clearly is not. And he also obviously goes into these with a very open mind, um, which allows you as an audience to have an open mind about what's happening. And, And he finds tender moments and funny moments which I think he he doesn't have a heavy hand about what's terrifying, and that makes it more terrifying because these people are so human. Yeah. Um, regardless of some of their claims are very bizarre, but I think he's trying to show all of the different options that people cling to when they're trying to explain why they have this particular phenomenon. But yeah, it's a terif- it's a genuinely terrifying film. Yeah, and he did Room Two Thirty Seven uh, about The Shining. So any quick little you got to you got to speak to him about this movie. Any quick insight? Yeah, I actually asked him to Facebook friend Jason when I was talking to him. <laughs> yeah, and I have it in my notes here. Weren't you supposed to push that through for me? Because, because hope, it didn't take. Come on. It didn't, despite Get my repeated done. friend requesting of him. I spelled your name for him and everything. He seemed very genuine. Uh, I want to say, if, if, you watch, if you didn't watch Room 237, watch it. If you did watch it and you didn't care for it, watch it again. I think it's misunderstood. It's really about the people. And the fact that they come up with these theories, it's not about the theories about The uh, the Shining. That's yeah. what I think. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. We think it's about film criticism because that's what we would think it is about. But <laughs> right. I mean, it's a brilliant film about yeah. film criticism. And the funny thing is, there are so many others that he didn't even address. You get on the Internet, you can find people have many, many more theories about what The Shining means. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's a fascinating movie. Check it out if you haven't. But number two is The Nightmare. And number one, boy, this took, this just came on out of nowhere and took all the horror community and everybody by storm. And I've seen it pop up on a lot of not only horror lists, but best of movies of the year period list. And that is, it follows this thing. It's going to follow you. Somebody gave it to me and I passed it to you. Wherever you are, it's somewhere walking straight for you. All you can do is pass it along to someone else. Well, once word got out about It Follows, it quickly got the moniker of the STD horror movie, which, you know, people always like to break things down into those quick terms, but it's much, much more than that. Well, I think um, uh, one of the things that it does really well is to to remind you of all of the films that you used to love. And so many of the great horror films are about coming of age and about sexual awakening and about the anxiety around that. And so for him to um, create a movie where it really is sex that is going to kill you, 
Um, not because some boogeyman is going to come out of nowhere because you did something wrong, but because you're cursed once you've done it was fascinating. Yeah. Um, but also his filmmaking style, he, he, he does homage so many of the great horror movies, especially right from the opening sequences. So Halloween, it's so John Carpenter, but, and then, and then he goes back to Halloween a lot. But what I loved is that long before the characters realize what they're looking for, the audience knows. Yeah. And the, 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 so we're always looks like scanning the periphery yes. and he makes that, uh, he encourages that because the the way the camera just circles and circles and it's you're always like, wait, does that guy have a hospital gown on? Wait, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? You know, long and it's it just creates so much tension. And then I think there's a great payoff with the the being itself that it looks different almost every time you see it and you can't like why does it look like that? Does she have yeah. pee pants on? I was like, wait, wait, I need to see that again. It's just a fascinating movie that you cannot stop staring at. Yeah, and one of the things the director. Uh, does right many things you can't pin down a time frame there are so many contradictory things you, you can pick out of the movie you know from the movies the oh they watch old-time movies very deliberate i think uh, old-time music but then they're using some sort of blackberry device it's very deliberate that we don't know what time it is when i think that works yeah i think one of the things he did so i it i agree hope it is one of the great accomplishments um, framing and cinematography in an, in an indie horror feature um, because it so plants the audience in the um, location. Mm-hmm. And you're right. We all we see the monster before everybody else does. And it keeps us looking at the background of the movie. Yes. And I can't think of a movie that's ever done that yeah. before, that ever had it's... me looking past the foreground uh, constantly. And there are some dizzying, there is some dizzying camera work. Uh, I'm thinking uh, in the, is it in the school or in the hospital? There's a big sweeping 360. It's in the school. The school. Yeah, that, you that, see that him it's in... just astonishing. Yes. And you just see the, the it in the background. Oh, and that's it yeah. right there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I thought that was terrific. Um, I think that uh, th- then I told you guys before I'm interested in the production side. This cost two million dollars to make. It made almost fifteen million dollars in its theatrical distribution. And most of the time, these movies don't even get a whiff of the theaters. So this was a really successful movie, and it got all the studios' attention. Yeah, everybody wants to make, and it follows now. Because wasn't originally it was just set for VOD? I think originally, right? And the the the, the reaction got it pushed out into the theaters and then it took off from there. I think so. That's exactly right. It had a limited theatrical distribution. And then when everybody went to see it, they kept putting it in more theaters. One thing I wanted to bring up, I don't know if you know, because one of our favorite it's when it turned into that gigantic man, that he is one half of the world's tallest twins. Wow. Nice. That man. Yeah. That's why we love seven foot seven. (laughs) He's got such a Tom Noonan look about him. And of course I love Tom Noonan anyway, but a seven foot seven inch Tom Noonan twin. That's uh, these are people we need to look up. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I love a good giant. You love a good twin. That's, right. That's a, like a merger made in heaven. Right. And one of the other things people really seemed to like about this movie was the score, which was done by a group called Disaster Piece mm-hmm. that had done, I think, just video games. Is that what? And the director, David Robert Mitchell, was a fan, and they did a great job. That's one of the best scores, I think, of the year. Yeah. No, I think so, too. Cinematography and score can do a lot to elevate a film. But also, I think his whole style wasn't, he didn't have, I mean, while he clearly uh, really loves horror films, his approach, especially with the acting, was just like an independent filmmaker. Uh, and I think for that reason, he got much better performances from the actors. And there was a lot more chemistry on screen but among the actors than what I think you generally see in a low-budget horror movie. Yeah, I agree. The performances were terrific. Um, what I thought was really daring was the screenplay, actually, because it leaves a lot to the imagination. Like, I think all great movies do. Mm-hmm. It lets you fill in the blanks. It left us with things to talk about. I, I We have to have a 
a version of this where we can talk about the ending. We have to have like a spoiler alert podcast yeah. So yeah. We, because that was a really divisive, uh, I think, moment in the movie. And some people loved it. I'm one of those. I thought it was perfect. I thought it did homage without um, it. It did sensible homage. It did. Yeah. What, what would kids in this situation really do? They'd probably do something like they did at the end of this movie. I'll tell you my last bit on it follows other than I loved it was I do this thing in movies where I try to encourage it to end at the right place. <laughs> and right when I it's sitting in the theater, right the first time I watched it, right when I thought to myself, cut right there, cut it did. And it was for me the perfect ending, the perfect way to end the movie. I was really excited and left us talking. I also loved how they it began. I mean, that first quote oh, unquote yeah. kill. Yeah, was, was amazing. Was wow. You're like, wow, that's uncomfortable. And so it, it does. It do, but after that, you're right. It does leave a lot to your imagination after that, which you can always conjure up more terrifying things on your own inside your own head. So I think it did a, a lot of both of those things. But yeah, ended ended well. Ended in a very. We're going to talk about this later. Note, which I have no problem with. Too many people want things just wrapped up tidy, and that's mm-hmm. seldom seldom good, especially in horror. I think. Yeah. yeah. So it follows number one on our best of 2015 list, and that takes us right into uh, next week. We're going to go back to looking at a director. Yeah, we're going to go. We like to celebrate a filmmaker every so often. We've only done one so far, which is Takashi Miike, and uh, next week we're going to do one of my absolute all-time favorites, David Cronenberg. (laughs) So Jason Tostevin, our senior filmmaker correspondent, what do you have? We know you're working at the Gateway Film Center, but as filmmaking-wise, what do you got cooking? Yeah, so uh, my writing partner, Randall Greenland, and I are writing a feature for some producers in New York right now, um, and we are putting together our pitch package for our very first feature. We should be attempting to get financing for that in the next month. We have some meetings lined up and uh, wish us luck. Yay, good luck. Yay, good luck. And we'll see him at the Gateway. And are you on Twitter, Facebook, you want to plug? Yeah, I'm on uh, Jason underscore Tostevin on Twitter and on Facebook. You can follow our our movie endeavors at Hands Off Productions. Nice. Okay. And we're still looking for your votes, your recommendations for the best female vampire films. Yeah, and, and extra, you'll actually might make the list if you can get one that has no lesbian overtones at all. If you can just think of one, you'll go. get at least a big you know, applause from me. Go. Uh, again, at Mad Wolf, and we're going to count those down, the top five at our next Fright Club Live event. January the 13th, the Gateway Film Center. We're going to count them down, talk about them, record the podcast live, and then show A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Which, which I know- is so gorgeous. If you haven't seen it on the big screen, you really need to. It is a just beautiful, beautiful film. Yeah, everybody's geeked about that. So until then, we hope you had a Merry Christmas. Hope you have a very happy new year. And until next time. I'm Hope Madden. And I'm George Wolf, And our guest, Jason Tostevin, will say... Stay frightful, my friends. Well done.